Hi guys, it's your host Matilda, Hadiza, and Imama, and you're listening to the Africa Lipso podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Africa Lipso podcast. Today we are joined by an exciting guest, another podcaster, Zambaza. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for joining us. How is your week? Oh, my week has been great. Other than preparing for your podcast, uh, I've been getting ready for, like next week is the final like a presentation for the Diaspora Podcast of the Year, I think APVA Awards. So I'm Ooh. running for, I'm a finalist for the Diaspora of the Year. Oh, okay. congratulations. Okay. I'm excited. Thank yeah. you. Wait, so you have to have like a speech? <laughs> Interesting story. By the time I got that email for the speech, it was like 15 days later. So I came and when I, when I got the email, I tried to send them the information. But when I was getting ready to do that, I got a sore throat. So I had to wait. Oh, no. So when I told them oh. about it, they said, no, they're already in production. So all I have to do is just wait and then I'll go watch it. Okay. So it's like a pre-recorded speech? Yeah, pre-recorded speech. So oh. I don't know what that means, whether you've won or not. Because, I mean, you're looking at so many people presenting the speech. But anyway, um, either way. I'll be happy if I just get mentioned. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Hopping right into our topic for today, we're part of this group called Pod Breaks. Shameless plug. But <laughs> we we pretty much are a group of diasporan podcasters. And like, you know, we gathered in Chicago this year and we were just having a conversation about like Africa because we're African diasporans and stuff. And I think you had mentioned that the Kenyan diaspora can vote. And that just really struck me because I didn't even know, first of all, that that was a thing in Africa. I, I know the U.S. does allow like their diasporans vote. Like even if you don't live in the U.S., you can vote and stuff. But I didn't know that at really? all was an African thing. Yeah. So I went into reading a bit more before we got into this episode. But that also kind of brought me to like, oh, we really as Nigerians, and I believe Nigerians are generally our main listener. Like I know a lot of other people listen to the podcast, but I find that as Nigerians, we don't really know that much about what's going on in other African countries. And that might be true for other African countries too. Like we don't really generally know what's going on around us. And I find that weird. <laughs> but yeah, this year was the case an election and you know we were kind of talking about that so i was like let's make a topic out of this let's discuss with a kenyan and like you know get to learn from them like how their election wins like what their elections look like what their politics looks like you know just generally get that idea from a living breathing kenyan kenyan american <laughs> but like you know <laughs> kenyan nonetheless eh? So the first thing that I really wanted to understand is what did Kenya look like before the elections? Like, were people generally happy with their leadership? What was the climate? So, well, most most of them are not usually, you know, as you know, being from Africa, not all of them like the, the whole premise of the election. And no one, like I said, no one will always be happy about what's going on. I always say politics is a dangerous game. People need to differentiate from politics and policies. Right. So I say I hate politics, but I like policies. But policies have to come from politics because politics is when, you know, all these people gather and talk and say, oh, it's like a beauty contest. When you look at it that way, whoever sells the idea is one who gets elected. 
And if you can see in most parts of uh, Africa, people in the beginning would be able to sell themselves to go to parliament and what have you. But now trying to get something out of it, you know, when you go to parliament, you're able to make um actually make yourself rich uh, in, a, in our Kenyan perspective. I'm going to talk about the Kenyan perspective. So when people spend money, they want to recoup the money out of it. And then there are people who will back you up so that when you get in there, you can get tenders and stuff like that coming back to them, which in turn makes you rich. So mm. Kenyan politics is more to do with who can get in and enrich themselves to become better. In our perspective, or in my opinion, I'll say a lot of it has changed to where it's not going to serve people. Some of them really want to go and serve people or start off trying to serve people. Then they realize, oh, well, this is the game. So you have five years in power. Mm-hmm. If you can make it to 10, well and good, to try and enrich yourself as much as possible. Hence, you get all these scandals. Now, when these scandals come up, that's where people start pointing fingers at each other. And we did not have any way of correcting that until we came. We had multi multi parties where two parties, you know, you have a pro and anti government sentiments there. With an opposition in parliament, then it kind of started balancing things out. So that's how I would describe the voting history in Kenya and our political history. Uh, briefly, when you want to actually look at all these the voting. I would go back to 2007. From mm-hmm. 2007 to 2022 is where you can actually see some progress in terms of politics. Why do I say 2007? Is because in 2007, that's when we had the... Uh, the um, Violence, right? Violence, uh. yes. And in 2007, I was in Kenya at that time. And um, what I'll say is... In my opinion and everyone's opinion, we knew that Raila Odinga had won. Okay. And uh, the returning officer for the election actually said before he died, he believes that Kibaki had lost the leadership. However, with the fact that the government machinery didn't want that to happen, they forced it to whereby Kibaki had to come into into power. Well, then they had to make that um what do you call that, uh, divided government where they had to include Raila being in there as a prime minister. Mm. Now, 2012 is when we enacted a new constitution. Bringing in a new constitution meant that a whole lot of things changed to the way we started doing business. So did the way they would um, conduct elections. So at about 2012, Raila has been running uh, in all these that's you. You know who Raila is. He's like the father of opposition in Kenya. So he's been running in all these times. <laughs> so let me just take you back a little bit of history. His dad was the first vice president. He actually should have been the president. However, he decided not to come up on top and said, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna not go out and fight for independence until Jomo Kenyatta comes back, and he's gonna be our leader." So he sort of sacrificed his political ambitions for Uhuru Kenyatta. That's Uhuru Kenyatta's dad. That's Jomo Jomo's Kenyatta dad, yeah. to be able to get in. Yes, Jomo Kenyatta is the the dad. Okay. Uhuru is the son. Okay, right. So he sacrificed that. And ever since then, they got into fights and everything went haywire. And then that's where the premise of all this comes in when you see Uhuru fighting Raila. But at the background, they're still friends. Remember what I said? There's politics and policies. When they have fighting up there, that's, that's politics. People don't understand. But when they're back at home, they work on policies together. And they're family friends, so to speak. So... 
back to this voting. So in 2012, that's when Kenyans started wanting to get into voting from the diaspora. There was a big push for voting with the diaspora. Started off with the premise that people felt like we had lost, and I'm speaking as a diaspora, and we had lost the elections because the night before, considering that Kenya is eight hours ahead, so when people were looking at the voting counting the day before, they could tell that Raila was winning. He was a million votes ahead. Suddenly, when you wake up the next day, you hear that Raila is losing a million votes, which is quite impossible mm, to wow. catch up. Yeah, yeah. So from then on, 2012, they was now asking for the push to have us vote in the diaspora. They had many meetings. They came to the diaspora and talked to us. I remember they came to Dallas and around 2012 and they told us, you know what, wait, we'll make you do it another time. So 2017 came, we were not able to vote, mm. but 2022 is when we were actually allowed to vote. So there has been a lot of talks about this. It's not something that's really easy because once you talk to them, and this is where if you ask me how it's done, I really don't know. But you have to have a huge population of the Nigerian influencers or people who can influence your leadership back at home so that when they go to the parliament, they go tell them, and then they have to get into talks. And these talks have to go on and on and on. And then they will be able to agree. And that's when policies come in. Pretty much like lobbying. Exactly. The so they have to really, really lobby it hard for you to get in. And this took a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's how it happened to 2020, in 2022 that we're allowed to vote. Um, so you mentioned the opposition parties that exist in Kenya. And I'm just wondering if the oppositions organize themselves by a shared ideology or do you know if there's a commonality between each opposition that exists or do they just organize themselves based off, oh, we don't like this person. And then the third one is like, we don't like the second person. Like, how do the parties organize themselves? If we were to talk about that, I think we'll have a brand new podcast uh, okay, conversation then, about okay, this. But okay, I'm going okay. to I'm going to put it in short. Kenya has mm -hmm. its unique ways of voting. So the voting trends come in. We have some opposition blocks right now. However, what happens is there's a main party and the parties come together, but they're always ethnic based. Mm. So they'll be ethnic based and then now with the ethnic based group, which is whoever is the largest, then starts picking out other smaller groups and bringing them together. So it's more tribal. I'm going to say this with caution. It's okay. more tribal based. Yeah. There's a sense of tribal based and there's a sense of personality based. Mm -hmm. uh, I see. Makes so sense. you have so many intricacies. Sorry, when you say personality, what do you mean by that? Okay. Raila Odinga, for example. Raila Odinga is a polarizing figure in Kenya. They, they even call him Baba, which is father. Mm -hmm. So when he stands, you're looking at him, not the party or the party's agenda people vote for. If Baba is there, we're going to vote for Baba. Mm. Same as Uhuru and Ruto, the current president. Mm. I heard he's not from like a majority tribe or he's not from no. like the leading tribe or something. Like that. No, he is. He, he is. is? Okay. Yes. <laughs> the tan okay, I'll tell you this. The Tanzanians have tried to dissect the Kenyan elections and then they discovered it was really hard until you start talking about the whole anatomy of the tribes. So it goes by tribal basis, tribal-based parties that now form the basis. So President Moy was a Kalenjin, which is where Ruto is from. Uhuru is a Kikuyu. Okay. First president was a Kikuyu. 
Second president was a Kalenjin. Third president was a Kikuyu. Fourth president was a Kikuyu. And now we have Ruto, who's a Kalenjin. So you see the tribal thing where it's just been shifting from two tribes. But there's right? more than two tribes. Exactly. Okay. How many tribes are there? About 45, 44, 45 there. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And yeah. only two have really been more. prominent like exactly. that. Interesting. Exactly. Okay. That's how our politics starts off. Tribal-based, then you have the polarizing figure that comes out as a, as the elder, the one who's been sent over to represent. And then from there, that elder will try and be able to get everyone else to come behind him and get the backing. So if I'm the elder here and I get another elder to agree with me and tell his people, let's join together, that's how you form the parties. So they become alliances. Okay, I, I find it really interesting. So yeah, because yeah. even Ruto, I heard he's 55 years old. Yes. So when you say elders, it's not him that's like the figurehead, right? Like when you say elders, you mean like elders or is he an elder? Is he he's a spokesperson, but you call him an elder. So with Ruto, you you guys are, you guys are going <laughs> to run into a rabbit hole here. You got, you got time. <laughs> I just found it really interesting because a 55-year-old in Nigeria could never be considered an elder, like, at all. Like, the people yeah. that rule us are literally, like, 70s and up, generally. So, yeah, I found it interesting. Which is what makes it unique about Ruto this time. He has beaten all odds. However, he's a very crafty man. He didn't start now. He started back in 1992 with mm. the backing of the president of Kenya, then President Daniel Arab Moy. And he's been trying to fight the the son, who's Gideon Moy, to get who's going to be the kingpin in that area. And finally, with all what he's done so far, he's actually shown that he is the elder or the kingpin of that area. Mm. Yeah. And he was the vice president as well, right? Yes. Mm, that helps. And most vice presidents don't make it. Really? Okay. This is the first. And you know, so like I told you guys, you really want to talk about Ruto, you're going to have a whole story about it and... Mm. Yeah, but any more, any other questions? And then we get on to the main path. <laughs> yeah, um, like before we go ahead as well, I think you right. also mentioned having a prime minister as well. So you guys right. have presidents and prime ministers? No, this was just that one time. Okay. So this had to be because of the fact that, um, and I will say this in my opinion, with conviction, that Raila won that election so he was denied the election and that's why they had to kind of have a split government in order to bring him in oh, and the, entice the people because remember there was, a fight, there, was, there was violence yes consolation prize i'm screaming okay so in that case what would the prime minister have done that was different than the president i don't know the, he was just being given a slice of the a, a piece of the pie you know what just here just you, you want something Mm. But in actual sense, when you go deep down into the politics, he still got screwed. Because mm -hmm. even by the time they had agreed and Kofi Annan was there. Okay, guys, don't be fooled. Kofi Annan had nothing to do with it. Kofi Annan came there and they're going to give this thing as Kofi Annan was the cool guy. No, it was Jakai Kikwete, the Tanzanian president who actually saved the whole situation. However, you may want to try to go read, I think, Miguna Miguna's book. If you know who Miguna Miguna is... Mm -mm. where he explains okay uh you guys are in canada and you don't know miguna miguna i'm sorry 
He's the best. He's still, wow. I'm sorry. He's in, he's in your he's in your neighborhood. Okay. He he, and he has two Wait, names. But like, remember what we said about Nigerians not knowing things about other African countries. Let's just remind I feel like you. This is like yeah. This is one of a prime scenario of that. You should know Miguna Miguna by now because he runs by two names. Miguna Miguna. M-I-G-U-N-A. M-I-G-U-N-A. He was a staunch leader or a staunch supporter of Raila Odinga. And one thing one thing about him is that he is one of the cleanest guy you've ever seen. And uh, all regimes in Kenya are scared of him because he is very clean. I don't know how he gets to run his politics without being dirty, but he's clean as a whistle. How can you now. tell? Because they always fear him. If you're going to be kicked out of a country, which is your country, and the way they behave, he can stand up to them and say anything he likes and nobody can have a comeback. You know, like some of these people, uh, when you go say something, you're in the country and they have a comeback for you. They never have a comeback for him up to now. Maybe he has information about them that other people don't have. Because that's interesting. Like, that'd be possible. Uh, I'm just curious. Maybe maybe he has a silver bullet somewhere, but I really doubt. Mm. But, but of course he was in the government now if you read his book you kind of find out more about what's happening there however um what were we going back before we talked about miguna miguna and him being your neighbor i guess we were talking about how he was the or how he got played yeah so, oh yeah so by the time they agreed and they came out there when you see the picture they're saying hello they had to go sit down and create a government but when he thought that he was going to create the government where he's going to be split forces known to the then president Mwaki Baki, the late Mwaki Baki, they had already gone and carved out what they had wanted and told him, okay, this is what we're taking and this is what you want. And Raila was caught up and was like, okay, you know what? I'll take what I have. So that's how it went. Okay. Before we jump more into the diaspora stuff, I, we just wanted to get an idea of you and, you know, your relationship with Kenya and politics generally. I know you live in the U.S. now, but like, when did you leave Kenya and like, what's your interaction with Kenya right now? So I left Kenya in 2000 and the whole interaction with politics has just become with the fact that I've been, as, as I've grown older, I've had this sense of trying to figure out what's happening back home. And remember when they said policies, there's nothing you can do. Even in Nigeria, when you go lobby, you lobby for policies. Mm-hmm. Policies are what make you survive. And if you want something to happen, you have to make sure these politicians are behind you and then they create those policies. Very important thing. And yeah, politics has has kind of robbed me in some kind of way, especially as the years have gone by. That's how my relationship is with Kenya. Mm. Yeah. So you don't, um, for example, how you were mentioning that you, and, and let me know if you're you feel comfortable about like going a bit deeper into like your beliefs and like voting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that like for example, you're in Dallas right now, right? Yes. There's a way for you to have voted in this election, right? From right. Dallas. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. That's where I was going to explain to you guys. But the next, like the next phase we were going to was to explain how we voted. Okay. Now, did I ever vote in Kenya? No, I didn't vote in Kenya. When I left in 2000, I couldn't vote until I became a citizen. And when I became a citizen, that's when I had a chance to vote. A citizen of Kenya? No, a citizen of the U.S., Okay, you couldn't vote in the U.S. or you couldn't vote You're in right. Kenya. Okay, uh, I could vote in Kenya, but t- 2007 was the first time I went back to Kenya. By the time I got there, 
I was busy moving up around the country that I couldn't be able to vote between Nairobi and Mombasa. I come from Mombasa and then I had to okay. go back to Nairobi. And then at the day when I was leaving was when the results were being announced. Mm. And I can tell you guys, that was the worst experience I ever had because I had to leave my sister back there and go to the airport four hours ahead of time and I did not know what the state was. I don't know who, how my sister was because I left her right next to the Kibera slums where it was the heart of everything, where the fighting oh, no. was. So yeah, it's one of those things that you don't want to experience, but everything worked out fine. Okay, That's the reason why I never voted in 2007, even though I really may have. Yeah. So after that, all these other elections have found me away from the, from the U.S. Okay. So when you left yeah. in 2000, you weren't like of voting age. No, I was already of voting age, but I never practiced to vote. Oh, okay. You didn't really I want I remember to. 1992. Mm. No, I didn't want to. Cause what I was were scared. your reasons? Scared of uh, what was happening. And I remember the 1992, 1992 when they were trying to get the president out, when you had the first multi-party voting. I was also doing the same thing on the voting day because we used to do it around Christmas time. Oh, that's horrible. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it's right <laughs> after Christmas. Yeah. That's when, um, because everyone okay, so what happens? The, the 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 reason why they do that is everyone in Kenya goes home for Christmas. So yeah. the the towns are all empty. So that's right about the best time to have everyone at home. After you celebrate, then you go after Christmas, you go and vote because everybody's going to be at home. Mm. So that's the reason why it was put around Christmas. Now it's in the first, I think the first week of August okay. every every five years. The constitution got changed in 2012. Okay. So everyone was scared. So they didn't want to go to vote. And I remember I had to travel. It was kind of deserted. The towns were deserted, but there was no violence. But you know, that scare, the scariness of being out at a polling station you never know what might happen mm -hmm. so those are the reasons why they made that made me not vote did i believe in the constitution and the voting <laughs> i i never had an opinion about it no i never thought i never thought about it whether you know the cards already drawn before before the voting exercise which mm -hmm. is what most people believe and then don't go to vote i see so many parallels with nigeria i feel like that's generally the plight of a lot of african countries like mm. not voting because you feel like it's already decided yeah yeah and that's what they call voter apathy you know they try to make you feel like okay you know if i vote nothing's gonna happen it, it's just gonna be it's just gonna be the same old same old and do you still feel the same way now like about voting um the truth there might be a way that people might try to manipulate the vote. And I think this is where we may get into, as we talk about this voting uh, in Kenya, the reason why it was and why, for me, this 2022 election was one of the best. Now, I believe the power of the people is still there. When you have as many people as you can to vote and who believe in the votes and go out to vote, you can actually change the whole environment. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter mm -hmm. whether, you know, that's why I tell people, it doesn't matter whether you, you are told that the cards are already drawn, you can go change the cards. And this is how we've done it in Kenya. And from here on, I don't think we're going to have that, uh, that issue mm -hmm. of the cards being played. Yeah. So was there like a bigger turnout this year than there ever has been? No. Oh. This was uh, one of the lowest turnout. Interesting. Really? And that even with the diaspora voting? No, no, no. We, we we just we don't make that that diaspora voting also has its own has its own asterisk. has its own issues. <laughs> yeah. Yes, huh. has an own asterisk. And the fact that Ruto's see, 
when you discuss politics, it has many facets. So in going to this particular election, every time we started off, Uhuru and Ruto were together, right? They, they used to be called Uhuru Ruto. Uhuru always <laughs> said, let me have 10 years and then I give to Ruto for another 10. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, by the time they're going to the second phase, he made a coalition agreement with Raila because after 2017 elections, Kenya was pretty, um, things were tense. And that's when he swore himself in. And that's what the time, about the time they kicked Miguna Miguna out. Maybe you might hear some Kenyans saying, I'm not boarding. When you hear someone in Kenya saying, I'm not boarding, they're relating to Miguna Miguna when he was being kicked out of Kenya because he had uh, sworn Raila as the people's president. That's another story. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I feel like there's to... so many stories here. <laughs> so back, I'm going to reel it back in. So we're going back to where it was. So now, the reason why it was so much of uh, less turnout is because central Kenya, even though it's a small, it's it's really small, but it has a majority of Kenyans. Okay. And that's where the election was to be won. Ruto began his conquest for the presidency of a long time ago. So he got the people of the central region to go behind him. Somehow the people of the central region agreed that because there was a promise made, it's going to be kept. Okay. So this is how the election got shifted and everyone was scrambling for the central. But again, remember, there's always been a Kikuyu on the ballot. This time there was no Kikuyu on the ballot. Kikuyus come mm. from central. Uh, I have my thing about uh, calling it Mount Kenya region, but that's uh, another story altogether. They call it Mount Kenya region. You hear Mount Kenya region, there's central. Central, central Kenya. It's okay. central, but I'm going to refer it to central because of my my beliefs. So it has a huge amount of people, and those are the ones who decide decided the election. So Rayla used to get about 20%, or actually used to get 10%, 10%, 5%, of you know, central, when it's not a stronghold. Of central, of central. Kenya, okay. Right. So Ruto was going for that because he knew if he could get as much as he can, he would probably be on the other side. Raila got 25%, Ruto got 75%. However, since this year, Nokikuyu is running on the ballot for presidency. They did not see the reason to come out. So that explains why there was a, there was a low turnout, plus mm. the fact that the youth weren't really enthralled to go vote at this time. There was no incentive for them. So that explained why there was a low turnout. Okay. Well, I have a yeah. question. In your elections, do you find that people vote for their people? Like the Kikus are more inclined to vote for the Kikus? Because, I mean, in this case, you mentioned that because there was essentially no Kiku running, like a lot of them did not show up. So in your elections in general, do you find that more people are inclined to vote for their people? That's like asking me, does the sun rise from the east? <laughs> I'm screaming. <laughs> I'm screaming. <laughs> so, I mean... It is. That's a, the main thing. I remember when I said in Kenya, the alliances before, which, which remember you said we talked about the way they start off with the, mm. the, the area, the Kalenjin. So yeah. you use a representative of you. Then you are the speaker, the kingpin, the elder. Then you go bring another elder and decide. Then you tell your people, hey, you know what? This is a good guy. We're going to go with him. Wow. So we always, our premise of our election start off from tribal. It's tribal. However, it changes. Not It's not 100%. Mm-hmm. When you live in the city, then you now see some differences. Mm-hmm. There are people who will not vote for Raila and their Luos. There are people who will not vote for Uhuru and the Kikuyus. Mm. They'll be outright and they'll say no. But That's not the majority. Yeah. Majority will vote for whoever's there. Now, 
the coastal area, which is supposed to be Raila's stronghold, right? Uh, the reason why it's uh, Raila's stronghold is the people believe that Raila is in the opposition and he's the one who's going to help them. And then we go over to Raila. But we have our main person there that we send as a representative that, you know, when they get up there in office, they get those plum jobs and everything so that they can bring back some goodies back to the people. There's always got to be a representative from that particular area standing out. I think it's also like the like the Kenyan, like the U.S. elections or the Canada. You'll have your party representation, mm-hmm. uh, your representatives, and they'll have to come from a certain region. So they're the ones who gang, who make the whole the whole idea of, hey, you know, you're going to go represent us. So they're your representation. But to answer your question in short, yes, we do start off from tribes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's interesting because kind of like what we're trying to move away from in the Nigerian election is that tribalism. Because like I think also like with Nigerian elections, there's always a lot of tribalism, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's right. Yeah. But yeah, like there's a lot of that. So it's like now I know like more recently we're trying to kind of push people to be like, you do not have to vote for this person because they're from your tribe. Just vote for them because they're actually doing what helps all of us. So I think it's just interesting that that narrative is not just a Nigerian thing. And it's like also like i guess other african countries like in this case kenya i didn't know that that was the case there but that's interesting to know and i think it shows how like because you mentioned the apathy like the voters apathy like if you already see you can see okay who this is who's running this is a this is a population of people within this tribe you're already like calculating okay this is who's gonna win like Mm -hmm. like i can see why people are like less likely to go out and vote because it's like a layman can pretty much predict the elections essentially is that like at least from my understanding of what you said essentially so far um yes and no because the thing is okay if there's a you cannot get a hundred okay so our election you have to get 50 percent plus one but you cannot with one particular or the one particular tribe which is so unique about us and Mm. so if you if you have to get that 50 percent plus one you need another tribe and need a couple of other uh, it's not tribes, uh, regions. So you have yeah. to bring an alliance. You see, that's the unique thing about African politics. We're never straightforward with our thingy. So even with the Nigerian thing, like you said, oh, we're trying to move away from from that. Does it mean that it's right, or does it mean that it's wrong? You know, we can perfect that the way it's done, but it's ours. Why? Why do we have to figure out like the West? Like now we have like these guys versus these guys. You know, like the U.S. We have Democrats and Republicans. That's their system. They've perfected the system for over two hundred years. We're still starting ours, and maybe ours will end up being. You know, it's multifaceted, and that's why it's so interesting. You know, like in Kenya, you cannot win as a single tribe. You have to pick somebody else to bring in to the fold to make that 50 plus one. So I think the difference is, I think in Nigeria is a popularity vote, but in Kenya it's not necessarily, mm-hmm. like you know how I guess in the, it's only for the American elections. Yeah, the, yeah, the US the electoral elections. electoral college how, thing. Uh, exactly, kind of like the electoral college thing where it's like, even though you have the popular vote, it doesn't mean you're necessarily the person that's going to win. So I guess... It's kind of like that way in Kenya. Like I guess even if no, maybe no, 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 no. No? no, we share no, we share we share the same popularity vote, which is that's what's unique about it. See, we have the same as Nigerian. You know, like you just told me, popularity vote. But you have to make a percentage. There's a percentage that the percentage threshold that you have to make. Then you become a winner. You can you can be popular. Okay, fine. But you cannot be popular in one tribe and then say, okay, fine, you're good, you've won. No, in order to make you have to make a threshold which is fifty plus one which is 50 point plus one 
then now you declare a winner. If both of you don't make that that amount, then you have to do a rerun. Wait, can you break it down to me using numbers? Because I think I'm confused. No, I think <laughs> the reason it confuses us a little bit is because in Nigeria, like there's clear number differences. Like for example, the people in the north. I may be wrong, so please, please check me if I'm wrong. But um, okay. the North, like, for example, if you win certain states, you've pretty much won the whole election because there are states with more numbers. So, like, if someone in the North, for example, was running and they had all their people behind them, then they've pretty much won. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So let's because just say, for example... Right, let's just say, for example the central region votes only and then everybody else does not vote and let's say the central region only commands 20% of the of and say 80% of people don't vote that's not going to happen you're not going to be declared a winner in the Kenyan uh, Kenyan elections huh, you have to make sure you collect all other people and bring them together and make that 50% threshold it has to be 50.01 hmm. or 50.1 yeah so a fifty percent. So I I, th- I think I'm coming to a place where I understand it. But when you say fifty percent, do you mean fifty percent of the population or fifty percent of votes. what people who voted? Let's say we have one million people who voted. Okay. So you take that one million. You have to have taken fifty percent of those votes. So five hundred thousand of the people should have voted for have, you, or five hundred thousand and exactly. one of the people should have voted for you. One, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Then it's so the you, same system. Yes. Okay. But I but guess I guess the, the difference is no, we don't necessarily have the threshold. But I think like Matilda was saying, it's because like one tribe already like is that amount essentially. So like we have like tribes that are that big. But I guess in Kenya, you people do not necessarily have a tribe that would make up like fifty percent like that, right? But you I see, half plus one. No, no, no. You guys are co- you're looking at the population. No, 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 no. We're looking at the voter votes. Population does not does not uh, equal you, know, you can have does yeah. not equal votes. So the votes that were placed in the ballot on that particular day, you have to get fifty percent. So whether you are from the north, right, and you have um, your population is is one million, doesn't mean that one million people voted that day. You could have twenty million people who voted that day. No, not twenty million, twenty thousand or two hundred thousand people who voted. Let me use. Let me get it right. In your city, you have kids who were born today. You have kids who are not yet 18 and you have kids who are 18 and over, right? Mm -hmm. So when you take off the 18 and below, those are not eligible voters, but they're already counted as part of the population, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't say that all those are voters. So that's where you get your difference. I'm going to assume that Hausa is in the north, right? Yeah. I think my my knowledge of of, uh, There are so many tribes there, but Hausa is one of the tribes in the north. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'll take Hausa. <laughs> well, equally I'll as um, in the north. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could have a hundred thousand houses at a particular location, right? But in that particular location, you still have the same number of the kids who are not yet eighteen who are going to vote, who are not going to be able to vote under eighteen, and then they're over eighteen who are going to be able to vote. Plus, some people with this voter apathy and what have you, mm-hmm. and and this uh, voter, you know, trying to not get you to vote and make you feel like you don't need to vote, you lose some. So that's where you you have to balance the numbers, which is what is making this um, our our election interesting. Mm-hmm. You 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 can have a population that maybe even surpasses the number of voters, but are they eligible to vote? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, I, I guess when this episode drops, I will drop a link because we didn't say it here, but I will drop a link with the number of registered voters per state to give people mm-hmm. an idea. Because I think that's another thing that encourages like voter apathy because people are like, oh, our numbers are not as big as the other tribes, so they decide votes and blah, blah, blah. But then, okay, you are now not registering to vote. So of course you are contributing to even that bigger skew. So right. I think I right. think that's generally what happens too in our in the Nigerian context anyways but yeah so were these elections like the one that happened in 2022 were they peaceful mm-hmm. then Oh yeah these were the most these were the most most peaceful elections ever In fact uh, I'm going to say this God with win. conviction mm-hmm. I'm going to say that we had the best elections in the whole of Africa I think Flex. I think this was a model election and I'll explain why this is a model election for for you guys to understand and the rest of the world and whoever listens to this to understand why we say that this was a model template to use just as a starter remember we all have our own differences mm-hmm. and just the election itself you know remember there's this party politics and all what have you take off that when we talk about the election process this is a template that I think if African leaders were to work on, it would probably work. But remember, Nigeria has a different population. I'm going to use Nigeria because, you know, you guys, are, you're from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the population is different and we don't know how the geographical area is. You know, there are all these things. But if you are to go by the template that we used, I think this is one of the best that has ever been used out there. I, c- I think I can say that with no doubt. Okay. Coming into the 2022 election, 2017 election, if you guys were, if you guys followed, or if you ever heard about the election, uh, the IEBC, which is the body that controls uh, the policy of uh, elections, the Kenyan INEC. Yes, Kenyan INEC, right? Okay, so they're the ones who are in- entrusted in doing this election. The day before, I think it was a week before the election, there's a guy called Chris Musondo who was the IT specialist for the election. He came on TV at about 8 o'clock. That was the last time he was seen on TV. And he said, these elections are foolproof. Nobody can steal it. I don't care who you are. You're not going to be able to make it. Well, disappeared for two days. Found him dead in an office. May God rest his soul. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, in the, in the wow. forest. This year? Yeah. No, that was 2017. Okay. I mean, still bad, but yes. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. does that make that better? <laughs> I say, like, did they suddenly change? Yeah. No, no, what I'm trying to understand is if it was this year, then how can you say it wasn't a violent election? But okay, okay yeah, sorry. Serious. Go ahead. So the reason why he was killed was because he had access. They say he had access to the server. And having access to the server, you can go in and change anything that's on the server to be able to kind of manipulate online. Even though... You know, you can't do that. There's a footprint. Whether you go in or not, somebody can track who who got in there. You know, IT people will tell you that. And that's uh, another thing you can explore. Now, remember, we're talking about this 2017 results. Why are they talking about the results being foolproof? It's because of they were supposed to be posted out there to the server. Because we have some kits where you put your thumbprint and then everything goes out there. And then it, it's sent to a main server. And then you guys go pick out the information and that's broadcasted everywhere. So they said that he was killed because of that. They had to get that information. Now, let me explain about the Kenyan elections, how they're done. I don't know how in Nigeria it's done. So you guys go to the polling station in the morning of the polling station, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely, you know, you're assigned to a particular polling station. You get there, the ballot boxes, your agents are there. 
for whoever's going to be voting at that particular location. In our election, you only allowed 700 max per polling station. 700 people? Max. Okay. And there's a reason for that. So 700, and there's, an, uh, there's a transparent ballot box that's shown out there. It's sealed. There's nothing in there. And then now you start putting your votes in there. You're giving all your votes. We have all the votes, the president, the senators, the MCAs, women rep, MP, member of parliament, and uh, the senators. So you have six papers you're going to vote for, and that's how you go and vote. But when you go to vote, you have the paper ballot that you put in, right? Before you start voting, you have to press your thumbprint on what is called a Kim's kit. Uh, there's a Kim's kit where you put your, they identify you with the thumbprint. When that identifies you, you check it against your, your identity card and your, you guys call it the PVC card, the voting card. So you have, you have mm-hmm. that with you. So when you have that, they find your name in the register, then you're allowed to vote. Now, if you're missing off of the register, which is also a bone of contention, and we had to go to court over that, you go use the manual register. But before you go to the manual register, the agents are told, hey, come here. This guy is not located on the list. All of you, you're in agreement. We're going to go use the manual register. Yes. Okay. They go to the manual register. They agree. And everything is done there. After that, done. That's how you vote. So when you're voting, that form is called 34A. That is the one you use to vote when you're at the polling station. Let's go back to 2007. Take a pause, right? 2007, William Ruto. And I, I saw this and I remember seeing this on TV. Their Form 34A, when they're done voting, is supposed to be sent into a main town. Like, let's say, if you voted in, um, I'm going to make it easier. Let's say you voted in Hausa Town, in a Hausa Town somewhere. <laughs> Hausa Town, the, yes. <laughs> the agent will send the results when the polling station is closed. Those results will be sent to Abuja, where they'll be sitting to wait for that information, which is going to be transmitted. However, when there's a form that this agent has to go with from this polling station, he has to take it all the way to Abuja. So we call him the returning officer because he has to return those forms manually. So what happened in 2007, there was a number. I'm going to just throw a number. There were a thousand votes for Raila. But when the agent got to Abuja, the votes were 2,000. They were tampered with. So now this brings back why we have this kit that you have to put your thumbprint and then it goes to a server, right? Okay. Now the server got tampered. Now it brings back to this chems kit. When you vote with the chems kit, it goes out there and then everything is sorted out when they send the results. The results are supposed to come in and they were televising the results. That was in 2017. Somewhere it stopped. And when it stopped, people now started getting worried. Uh Yes, 2017. But remember, when they were sending these, they were only sending, the IABC were the only ones who were controlling this. So in 2017, there was a case called Maina Kiae case. This is very important. That's why I said the Kenyan election is foolproof at this point. So Ruto and his party wanted everything televised electronically, which we agreed. But there's a case called Maina Kiai's case that he put in and said elections should be finished at the polling station. So now in Kenya, we do that manual calculating and everyone calculates a form. They take them one by one and then they are counted. At the end of counting, everybody's numbers are put there. So now your agent signs and says, yes, I agree. Then they take pictures. They take a snapshot on the phone. This time, the IEBC or the INEC, like the INEC of Nigeria, challenged the radio stations to also tally vote. Remember before, they only used to tally vote. Parties used to do their own tally voting. But now the TV stations were allowed to tally vote. So they sent their agents. At this time, you have at least four people 
who are going to be taking pictures. Mm. There's the your your agent if I was uh Raila Ruto IBC and then the the IBC is the one and then there's a radio station so you have cameras four different cameras which means that you have four cameras which have the same geolocation and they're located with four different people at that time mm-hmm. so that means it's foolproof when you agree to sign as an agent you're saying these results are clear and cannot mm-hmm. be changed and there was no rigging because if they're rigged you don't sign you're allowed not to sign you say ah uh-uh, uh-uh, we're not signing this oh, really? you can go wrong. missing you know but yeah in theory that, so, that makes sense so now this is where minor kia's case comes in and say voting is cleared out at the polling station mm. when raila went to fight this time you never heard them talking about let's go to the polling station there was something happening at the polling stations only they said oh there were some discrepancies at the polling station here 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 and they took samples but you will never hear them complaining about the count because the count is exact once you sign it you've agreed to it there are four pictures four pictures of evidence and remember there's only 700 people So how are you going to say that my election was lost at this particular place or this particular place yet your agents went and signed in and said hey we got proof everything was good to go and there mm, but can the agents be paid off well okay if you pay the agent off that takes off two agents but there's the IABC and then TV station representative who's taking a snapshot mm. yeah you'd have to bribe all four people in a lot of polling stations as well so right Mm, interesting. Just so now when the results were coming in, we were getting results off from the TV stations coming in at the same time and we were also having results coming in at the IABC center. So we knew what exactly was going on. Mm. One other thing I need to add. Remember that last time they said the server was was hacked and anything like that? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. time they said once that agent sends the snapshot of the elections, right? It would go straight to the server. Anybody anywhere in the world whether you are Kenyan you're South African even if you're in the moon as long as you got access to that server you'd see the form 34 it when it was 34a is what you send up and then it becomes 34b when it hits the server so that's what you're looking at the forms right there each and every polling station had a snapshot from the returning officer sent before he leaves to go to the main uh, collection center with this of uh, this ballots the the form itself there's a physical form there was a snapshot sitting at the server for anyone anywhere to, to source it reference count your votes to see who's winning and who's not winning it never at one time got compromised or whatever got hit by whatever or lagged or went offline because 2017 it went offline for a moment and it stopped and that was it Mm-hmm. So this time it was open for anyone to pick that information. Hmm. Well that's why I said up to now that's what makes the whole model of an election to be worked at. And so if you have a problem and this is where um with elections and all African elections if they could do this if they would be able to kind of have that type of a starting point where at the polling station pictures are taken even with the broadcasting stations if they have that uh, ability to make it very open then you will see some type of transparency hence the reason why when people heard oh ruto's winning yes people were mad and everyone else and considering the climate because of this um covid people were like okay fine you know what 
You need to go to the Supreme Court? Go ahead. Head to the Supreme Court. You guys figure it out and then we'll continue. Even though a lot of people are hurt, but the Supreme Court was the one to decide everything else at the at that point. Mm-hmm. So to me, this was one of the best, if not the best, election that has ever been conducted in Kenya. Hmm. I mean, honestly, it seems like they're like 500 steps. So <laughs> Yeah, there are actually so many steps. <laughs> so many steps. So I think that I feel like maybe, you know, that is what we need in Nigeria as well. <laughs> because it's like it seems very hard to rig. Which is like pretty cool. Yeah, I'd be interested to actually talk about what the Nigerian process is because I don't know if any of you guys know, but I don't actually know the specific process of voting. And I think that might be an interesting thing for us to also re- look into explore. and yeah, explore. Because I, I don't think mm-hmm. the average, maybe the average person in Nigeria that votes would know, but I've never actually voted in Nigeria as well. I mean, you know, what, speaking mm-hmm. about, I guess, the average person knowing Azambaza, is this something that, like, you like was like just readily available to the public to know, or did you have to go and like do research to find out how it worked? I've been following politics. Uh, remember now, the, remember policies and politics. I told you before, mm, so I've true. been following it yeah. to one word by word. And then as it gone to, to the elections, I started really going and focusing on honing this uh, whatever was going on with the elections, how to vote. And the way Kenyans were telling people, hey, this is how you vote. This is how you go to your polling station. They even had apps where you'd go in, you'd put in your voting number. It will tell you which place to go to, who are the people that are in your area to vote for, you know, the ones who are going to be on the ballot and all that. So this is information that I had to look for myself. I went to go in, search, and that's why I have a clear understanding. Another thing mm-hmm. is, you know, with that minor Kiaia case, then you learn from it. See, like 2017, I started being vested in, polit- in the politics from the time then when they started saying they wanted the diaspora in, in 2012, I really wanted the diaspora to vote. Then they skipped us in 2017 and then 2022 is when they allowed us to vote after all that. One thing that I wanted you guys to know, they're adding diaspora as a ministry on its own. Mm. So they're going to focus on diaspora, which is funny because... A lot of the diaspora actually voted for Raila, not Ruto. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, the way you're laughing is killing me. <laughs> it, it's it's mind boggling. But he he said he's like, he's not going to take it out on us, and um, we're good, we good people. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't be offended at a group of people for not voting you in. You are voted to like represent everyone. So I guess like that makes sense. I get- I guess with the remittances, he he is not gonna say no. Uh, he's gonna have to. <laughs> it's no choice. Yeah. yeah um. One yeah. thing that I think you haven't really gone into like, is like you know the process of actually voting in the diaspora. Is it then the same? Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So now we get to the diaspora voting. Our constitution does not allow us to vote away. You have to be in Kenyan soil. It says that. I don't know which, mm. which section of the constitution. I need to read up on the constitution when I get time. However, I know it's in the constitution that you have to be on Kenyan soil to vote. Mm-hmm. So here's the catch-22. An embassy or a consulate mm-hmm. is considered soil, quote-unquote. So that's how we're able to get over that and be able to vote. So the same principles were allowed. Unfortunately, well, we had to go to D.C. and they had New York and uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles was recently created. 
which is actually going to be one of the most vibrant uh, consulate in my perspective. They're even on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Get the I'm going to be biased. I'm going to be biased. The reason why I'm biased about it is because um, the guy who is the consulate is actually my classmate in high school. Oh. So, yeah, so I know him well and I, I wish him well. But he's he's made it more interesting. If you go check it out, you, you'll see what, what I'm talking about. <laughs> Not you promoting um, it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how consulates should be run nowadays. Mm. But those are the three main locations. As Kenyans, we are supposed to go and vote. This is the U.S. London had its own, uh, and I think there were, there were 12 countries. Surprisingly, Australia was not one of them, mm. but there were 12 African countries that were allowed to vote. So when you went in, same thing, votes were out in the open. Then you got in, you did your voting the same way. The numbers that they had was 700. I think with the diaspora, they may have had that issues slightly changed because, you know, you can't, locations are too many, are not too many. And the diasporans who actually voted were less than the number of diasporans that are out here. The reasons, you know, the reasons why location USA is big. You can't mm-hmm. just tell people, okay, we want to vote. Actually, some people in diaspora left left here and went all the way to Kenya to vote rather oh. than just go vote at the embassies. Yeah. I think the location is what bothered a lot of people because you have to plan to travel, live in somewhere, you know, take time off and what have you. So there has been this push to have other locations opened so that you can go in and vote. And maybe they might you know, see this is a start. You know, you start we say yeah. small, 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 small. You know, in Kenya, we say <laughs> kidogo, kidogo. So I'm using a uh, Nigerian slang. <laughs> Kenyan slang also says small, small. So you start oh, small, small. Oh, you guys small. also say small, small. Okay. <laughs> yeah, small, small. And then... Maybe we'll go into diasporans being allowed to send the vote by mail. That will mm. probably help uh, the the situation and then get more people involved. Because, I mean, if it was voting via mail, I can't vote due to the fact that I'm now able to vote uh, as a dual citizen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that might add a bit more complexity because one of the big issues we have is like rigging. And like, I feel like mailing in creates more avenues to rig. But remember, remember, remember what what we talked about. Voting ends at the polling station, not at the main in in Abuja. No. Whether the returning officer is going to fly from Canada to take your vote to Abuja. Mm -hmm. By that time, they would have taken the picture. But if you mail it in, you're not physically there to actually put in your thumbprint or anything, right? Yes. Now, that one, um, well, that's when your agents come in. They look at the, remember you vote, you have to look at the the name. They'll say, okay, this one, this one is uh, Ruto. This one is um, Raila, if if he's going to go back into it. But that's what you're going to do. Okay. Or who's who's going to be voting next year in Nigeria? In Nigeria, uh, who's your who are the candidates? Candidates for presidency. Uh, Just give me any. Tinubu. Kitobi, please. Okay, so so Kitobi and Chinubu are going in. So when they come, when the votes are being transported to the to the diaspora, obviously when they come in, they're going to be put in a in a box that's going to be sealed. And when they open those those boxes, the agents are going to be there, the two agents. And when they open it up, they read, they show you the picture. They say this one, it's marked this person. So they do that one by one. So how are you going to play around unless you get an, another empty box and uh, bring I in? I would lie. I see ways. I honestly, with the mail-in, I see ways. Nigerians are crafty. Again, remember you guys, and this is where we have to kind of advocate for it. Mm-hmm. Just like the 
the West, until Trump started talking about it, we always believed in the American system or we believed in our politics. So even though, yes, there's going to be rigging, it's, it's there. You have to keep it hush to make the, the people believe that, yes, I believe there was some rigging in Kenya. There's a possibility. Anything is not 100% foolproof. Mm -hmm. But if you believe in the system and you believe that it's it was done fair and square, you know, there has to be a winner and a loser, then, you know, you kind of now start looking at ways to correct the holes that will be there to kind of circumvent the results, the true results. And then at the end of it all, you get this almost perfect system. Well, someone can break into once in a while, but as an 80%, you have to have faith in it. And I think that's what we lack as Africans. We lack faith. Well, it's I so agree. funny that you're talking about faith in the system because like you were previously talking about not voting because you didn't believe in the system. And yeah, true. <laughs> and this is where you change. And this is, and I, and I believe that, yes. And I agree. Mm -hmm. I did not believe in the system. But then I realized one thing. If I say I don't believe, and I had to learn from the U.S. system, whether or not there are instances of, uh, we know all the systems, how, like right now, as uh, maybe it's with age, right now, as I'm growing older, I can see where issues are with voting in America, right? I can tell mm. what they're trying to do. Right after Biden won, I think there are about 150 changes that were made in the state of Georgia on how voting should be done, just to make sure that, you know, it remains red. It doesn't go blue. Really? So, yeah. But all in all, there's a belief in the system. Somebody believes somewhere that when they put their vote in there, it's going to work. Win or lose. If I miss it this time, there's always a next time. But as Africans, I think we have this idea sometimes, okay, I'm going to lose or, you know, the system is already rigged. But if you go in believing that the system is rigged, what happens to the next person? And if I say I'm not going to vote, you know, I might go there and say, oh, I, I didn't vote. But then when I say I don't vote, somebody else might be hearing and they, mm. they may not vote. And that might trickle down to somebody else. So you have to have a belief in the system that the system works. I agree. I, I don't know. I know you had answered for the previous elections, but did you end up voting for the 2020 for like this one, like this election? I know. Remember traveling. That travel oh, yeah. Up, yeah. Yeah, was that's just, true. Uh, was a nightmare for me. So I couldn't I couldn't just go out and vote. Okay, it, no, that's it's, fair. It's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of preparation that you mm -hmm. have to think about. But the next time, I, I definitely the twenty is twenty twenty two plus five twenty twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll I'll make my way there if they're not voting. Okay, no, that's or I might fair. Go to Kenya and vote because now they had to change it. Remember, I told you guys was always done in the in Christmas time. Yeah, they moved yeah. it over to middle of the year so that we don't have this exodus of of people and then it used to interfere with the beginning of the school year because our school year starts in january mm -hmm. so it had an effect on that so they brought it in the middle of the year which i think is also good because most of the people go back to their home again some are never seen until christmas time so you have them twice you know at least your grandparents get to see you twice a year mm -hmm. in the election year yeah yeah i had one question actually or one yeah. more question probably my last question mm -hmm. Are there like a lot of Kenyans in the diaspora? Like I know, for instance, with like Nigeria, there's a constant like exodus of people from Nigeria. Like there's like even this whole quote unquote like Japan movement type thing where people are like leaving in like swarms. So like people constantly leave in Nigeria. So we have like a huge diaspora population. And I was wondering with Kenya, is that the same? Like, is there a huge diaspora population? And are people constantly leaving in like droves as well? Yes. And um, mm. that's what brings in another issue. 
So the highest number of population of Kenyans you would find is in, uh, you have to put DC because this is where the consulate is. Los Angeles has a lot of uh, Kenyans and then you have New York also, but not, not as much. A lot of Kenyans stay in Minnesota and uh, Massachusetts. Dallas, Texas has a lot and that's why we're fighting for a consulate to be created and I think it's going to be, there's going to be one. So when I say I want to vote next time, hopefully they'll have it here. So I'll just have to drive up there and uh, vote. Yeah. So there's that and there's a concentration. The only thing about um, about this voting consulates in, it also becomes politics before policies. Mm-hmm. If you get my drift. Remember, they're tribes. So it's more tribal. There's a particular mm. tribe that has settled here in Dallas. And there's a particular tribe that's uh, con- consistent uh, okay. in Boston. Yeah. And you have in Los Angeles. I don't think you have much, but yeah. So it's usually there's that dynamic as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, mm. this uh, ethnic I mean, way don't of you have, is... Don't you have Igbos? I can only say Igbo and Yoruba. Can I, I use think... Hausa as as one of the tribes? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, they are one of the tribes. Yeah. Okay, you guys, please tell me. Okay, um, from the north, and is it, Yoruba is it north or south? West. West, okay. Yeah. Uh, Igbo is... Yeah, west, but I guess like geographically south because like like every other tribe is... Yeah, every other tribe is in the south except for the north. (laughs) Essentially. Yeah, it's the southwest. Like, yeah... So which tribe is is populous in the north? The only reason I get... I know about Hausa is just because of history and Mm -hmm. uh, Nollywood. Nollywood. (laughs) 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 It's one of our biggest exports. Yes. But yeah, yeah, in the north, yeah, is the house. Yeah, there are a lot of tribes. So I guess in north, one of the more popular ones is the Hausa tribe. So that's not okay. Yeah, that's also correct. But there are a lot of like I think we have over a hundred and something ethnic. More than that, two hundred and something. Probably like three hundred and seventy-one. Okay, three hundred and seventy-one ethnic groups, (laughs) according to Vanguard Nigeria. Mm. Wow. Yeah, but the main ones are like the main three, the major ethnic groups are Igbo, Yoruba, and Hausa. And Hausa is from the north, and then Igbo and Yoruba are the south, so southeast and southwest. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But I think, like, I think you had initially asked, oh, were there like more Igbos in like a certain part of the diaspora? And I don't know, like, I don't know, like Matilda and Hadiza, what do you guys think? I don't, I feel like where we, leave we just leave i don't think there's like more of like evils or yorubas in like certain parts of the diaspora i think it's just like i think we're just scattered everywhere essentially yeah yeah it's a mix this this is definitely a generalization but i find that there are more please correct me i might really be wrong but i find there are more evils in the americas and more yorubas in like the uk do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I Why don't, don't you guys know. do a poll? <laughs> you probably do, do, yeah, we should, you know guys, what? We should do, do a, a poll. poll <laughs> and then, you know, kind of ask around and get a few people to, you know, kind of do a poll, call people around and then get get an, get something going on in the podcast mm-hmm. and then see what you mm-hmm. get. That's as, a great um, idea. That's feedback. a good idea. But I think at this point, though, we, we really are just trying to leave Nigeria. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're I not picky anymore. <laughs> You're an African podcast, right? Mm. Even though it looks like it's divisive, but it may explain reasons to why you have that type of migration. Why would you have, say, houses living in a lot of houses in New York or as opposed to in California? 
or if they are going to be if they're going to be mixed all over right you can go into dynamics of okay how is it that they're all together mm. you know is there mm. is there a reason as to why they all you know yeah but you know you know what i think there are a lot of evils in more random places though <laughs> like china yeah exactly no yeah it's true like china and that's just because of like the evils i guess history of like business and, and yeah. entrepreneurship and stuff like that so they're more they say quote-unquote adventurous so i feel like that might be the only thing but i do think we are more nigerian outside of nigeria than we are like tribal mm-hmm. yeah but as we okay. wrap up this particular topic, though, I did want to just, you know, discuss the big, big criticisms and like reasons, I think, behind the countries that haven't adopted diaspora voting. One thing that surprised me is that there are actually like, I think about 38 or 28, I might check my numbers, but according to the article I was reading, it was 38 countries that have granted diaspora voting rights since 1990 in Africa. Senegal has one of the highest levels and like apparently one of the elections in 2001 I think in 2001 and 2006 the winning candidate lost in domestic votes but won overall because of the votes abroad so like it's just showing that in Africa we've seen where like even diaspora has like such a massive impact on the voting so it's not it's not even like a new thing it's not a new thing in Africa. So I feel like a lot of times when we have the conversations as Nigerians, we act like it's not a thing that has been done, even in the African context. But one of the big criticisms is really that our voting system isn't perfected yet. So it's not ready for diaspora voting. And I I wonder if you guys agree with that. There's never time to be ready. The time is always now and the whole the only reason why you get them saying or if you ever hear any one of those politicians saying they're not ready is because one it's a numbers game like you just said senegal with the diaspora voting tipped the scales oh what it you, was cape you, verde uh, but cape verde okay yeah so if it's cape verde that t- that the diaspora votes tipped the scales just imagine nigeria just imagine how many nigerians are in the diaspora how many nigerians mm. are eligible to vote if you ever implemented that uh, voting in the consulates, right? How many would be able to tip the scales? This would change the game because remember politics, they have to come and sell themselves to you. This means they have to rethink and move, you know, kind of come over to, to the US or to go all over Europe to campaign. Changes the game. Well, it also creates employment and uh, creates opportunities for other things. However, it's still a numbers game. That's what a politician is always scared of. A politician is scared of numbers. And the best way they do it is they say, you're not ready. Give us time, blah, blah, blah. They'll use all excuses they can. But when you come to lobby and lobby really, really hard, it's very possible. Nigerians, mm-hmm. you're always ready. And the, the reason why I say numbers is, numbers is, is the game. Look at that uh, protest, uh, the SARS. If you can look at how many Nigerians in Britain itself came out and, and started flashing their phones, I don't know, was it in Trafalgar Square or somewhere? If you look at that number, if a politician is to be told, these are the people who are going to be able to <laughs> vote to you vote. in to power, they'll be like, oh, yeah, come on, I, I need them, you know? And if it's somebody who's in the opposition and says, you know what, if these are the people who are going to vote me out, I need to do something, you know? So it's a game changer. It's just a tactic that they are playing to kind of stop you from voting. But you guys are ready. Nigeria is ready. 
Yeah. I think so too, actually. I, I fully agree, I agree with like Zambaza. I do think that there's never going to be like a proper time when we're going to be ready. So we might as well do it because at this point we're ready. And then that's going to be the benchmark. You have to start somewhere. Like now we know the benchmarks. We started here. This is where we did it wrong. Then we move to the next level. What did we, what do we learn from here? But mm-hmm. if you're going to say tomorrow, 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 okay. When you start tomorrow, does that mean that it's going to be perfect? No, you're going to have to find other ways of making it perfect. So the only way you can make it perfect is start now, make the mistakes, keep going on and on and on. It's the same with the Kenyan elections. Yeah. We have a long way to go, Sha, because apparently in March this year... (laughs) No, I'm serious, because March this year, our National Assembly actually voted against diaspora voting during a constitution review. Despite our INEC saying that they're ready, I mean... That is another like question that we actually have to ask. Like, where did they get the impression that they're ready? I don't know. But the INEC body is actually saying they're ready, but the National Assembly is voting against it. So, I but you know what? I'm not even surprised because I mean, I'm mean, this might be like a whole different episode, a whole different topic. But mm. if you guys have, I don't know if you know people that are into like politics, like Nigerian politics a lot in the diaspora, but the older generation that I know that into Nigerian politics a lot in the diaspora, and for whatever reason, I know a bunch of them, don't ask me why. <laughs> They're all really, really. <laughs> they're all really really for like i guess like this election like for the labor party or for like peter and i know in the previous election they were like for essentially not like the two main parties that we would usually go for so they're Mm. like in the last election they were not for the two main parties in this election they're also not for the two main parties i think they were even fully like supporting and trying to fund shawara before like you know i guess whatever happened so it's like like they're essentially not for the two main parties so it makes sense that the two main parties currently are not trying to have exactly that whole power and not trying to have the diaspora vote because if you can see that they're not for you and we know that nigeria has a huge diaspora population kind of like what like zimbaza and you were saying earlier it's very possible that the diaspora could tip the scales. I mean, maybe not by much, but they could have like a huge influence on the election. So I think it could be a thing of fear. I don't know. I also do not have stats, but Mm -hmm. just from like, you know, this is just from my own nuanced like experience. So yeah. A lot of people also feel like, how would you then vet... And I'm just, I'm just... Because we've talked about the pros and everything, but a lot of people are of the opinion of how would you know how much skin the people voting have in what happens in Nigeria? Because it's like anyone really with a Nigerian passport, you might not have ever lived in Nigeria at all, but like you're having a say in who's going to run the country. And like, it's probably going to have a direct impact on on the people that are actually like have people that actually have more skin in the game and stuff, you know? um, Yeah. Matilda, Mm -hmm. are you talking as a politician or a statesman? Neither, neither. I'm just saying, like, people on ground have some people hold that opinion. But, okay, if I'm feeding you, I have to get something in return. Because if I'm going to send money to my cousins, whoever in the diaspora, what am I getting out of it? Okay, yes, I may be able to build some buildings, do some stuff. But remember, those billions of naira that are going in account for something. If Mm. you look at the GDP of Nigeria, Oh, I have it, the stats. It, it, I have okay. the stats. Apparently, in remittance, people in the diaspora contribute, at least last year in 2021, contributed right. $20 billion to the oh. GDP. 
which and when I did the calculation, yeah, when I did the calculation, it looked like four point five percent because the total GDP was like four hundred and forty billion dollars or something like that, which I thought was low, but you know, God save us. Okay, <laughs> and then when you say four point five percent, that's four point five percent of the one that they are recording. There's money mm. that is sent via different ways illegal, that comes through. Yeah. Whether it's legal, yeah, well, illegal. Well, not they official, have this, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's the official, and then they have this, um, the Muslim have this thing of theirs where they have, like the Somalis do something they have where the money is being oh, yeah. sent across. But, you know, that kind of thing. So there could yeah. be those other air avenues. But when you look at that 4.5, that's just a f- small scratch of what is legally coming in. Whether legally or legally, somehow that affects take that off and somebody's going to suffer somewhere so as a nigerian i would say you know fight for it and say you know what i'm nigerian i i'm part of it if i'm paying i'm contributing the gdp so i should be allowed to vote i should have a say in what what goes around i agree with you i do i was just trying to see from the point of view cuz that might rob someone the wrong way saying oh because you send money back so therefore you have to get like a say which is true but then it's not everyone that's voting that sends money back for example i mean honestly i feel like just because i'm nigerian period like that should be enough mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like i shouldn't have to tell prove you why my worth it proves yeah. my worth exactly. like <laughs> But yeah, I completely agree. But yeah, with that, I, I would wrap up. We were kind of all over the place, but I think it was really nice to draw parallels and see the parallels between like the two different countries and like their political histories and, you know, stuff like that, because it gives us an insight into like what is possible. And I think we don't pay attention too much to what's around us, even when we have all these parallels. And I think it's important that we have all these conversations. So thank you so much, Sambasa, for coming on and sharing all your knowledge with us. And can I throw in a suggestion? Yeah. Um, Maybe before your elections come up as a means to set up maybe the next, for the next election, if they're going to allow your diaspora voting, kind of find out who declined who specifically declined not not to have the diaspora voting, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe as you point them out, attack them. You sorry, co- <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> what this does, it it might bring out a spotlight from the community leaders because some of them may not know who did did what, and you probably might set the ground rolling for them to go ask those questions mm. and have people asking them questions who listen to your podcast, you know? So you create groundwork for them to say why. So maybe your grandmother who will vote for him will go and say, why is it that you want me to vote for you when you're denying my my granddaughter who is in the diaspora not to vote? You know, you can create you can create some fires just like that. And once this is pointed out, and remember, politicians hate numbers against them. So when they see there's a number here, they start trying to question themselves. And that's what makes the changes, plus the lobbying as well. Maybe mm-hmm. bring one of the lobbyists to explain how come they, are, they were not able to have it this time. Because with the current Kenyan population now, I notice there's another small fire that's coming up. Remember, we have like six people voting. We vote at the same time. Now there's a cry to have it split into two where we have, you know, the governors maybe being voted at a different time than the president so that it doesn't polarize. We start polarizing the governors rather than polarize the presidency because in Africa, everything is talked about the president being the the absolute 
person, but mm-hmm. governors have a say too. So starting these small fires, it can just start from you calling people out in these uh, podcasts. And as I said, maybe I'm minding up myself here. As I say, podcasters, you do have a responsibility. Uh, and I know I did an article about it on um, Africa Podfest in their newsletter this past August and saying that it does affect you. So when you start off these small fires, you never know who's listening. And they could set up motions to greater things, but you just got to start that conversation. Oof. Start I'm, I'm snapping. Yeah. <laughs> Word. Yeah. Before we go, though, you've dropped so many gems. Can you drop like where we can find your podcast and listen to you even more? Okay, Matilda, I don't think this will be fair. I, I need a question from the other from the other two hosts. Ooh. Yeah, Hadiza has been very quiet. <laughs> okay, Hadiza, which one would you prefer? Would you prefer going to vote in the diaspora in Canada or would you want to go home and vote? Which one would excite you more if you had the ticket and everything? Of course, diaspora, because that's where I am, right? I think a lot of people here also can't really afford to travel back to Nigeria very often. But then they still need to have a voice and stay in Nigeria, essentially. And I think that's the issue. Like a lot of people come, some people leave Nigeria. I think I'm one of them. Leave Nigeria and kind of disconnect because sometimes you feel like you can't really change things essentially when you're away and stuff. So, but having, I think Nigerians here having that power to be able to vote, you know, you're like, okay, I can, you feel like you can contribute more to the society from where you are. And I, I don't know, like I just, I would, I would prefer to have like the ability to vote in the diaspora, of course, like it's good to have that option, of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Imama. Now this is my question to you. <laughs> okay. um, I know me and um, Matilda were talking about this PVC cards, the, the registration. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that uh, there is, there's a good approach to have the youth get into registering the PVC cards. Is that is that momentum going going well right now? I think yeah, recently there's been a lot of like move on social media just like telling people to get their PVC and vote and all that fun stuff. So I think more recently, like for this election, kind of ever since the I don't know if you heard about the NSARS movement. Yes. That happened. I yeah. So ever about since it. Oh, really? That's that's nice. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, ever since the NSARS movement that happened, I think, like, there's been kind of, like, a push for, like, the youth to go out, get their PVC and vote. So, I think more recently, I'll say, yes, there's been a push, not necessarily from, like, the government itself, more from, like, the youths kind of just, like, motivating themselves. So, I think there's been, like, a more, like, internal push for, like, people to get their PVCs and vote. And I think it's actually been pretty helpful and pretty useful because i think more people have definite i don't have the stats on this but from what appears it appears to me that more people have like you know gone out there registered to vote like people that maybe would not have voted before it looks like more people are registering but i think i don't know if the numbers are out maybe i can look it up and see if there are numbers out there and like to see if more people have registered but ultimately yes i think there's been like a push long story short there's been a push for the more youths to vote and i think that more youths are actually getting their pvc this time and registering to vote than i than i witnessed in the past anyways so yeah. Okay. All right. 
So now I think I've talked to everyone here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now for the Sambaza podcast, Sambaza podcast, you can find it on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere else you can find uh, the podcast. Right now, I'm also on YouTube where I interview podcasters. So I'd like to interview you guys one time. And that's on video as well. So Matilda. You're going to have to come on the video as well. Uh, no no picture. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that the other one is YouTube, just recording podcasters. It's just trying out new stuff. And um, sometimes I hang out on Clubhouse more to create awareness about uh, Sambaza podcast as well. So that's where you can find Sambaza podcast. And we talk about anything right now, doing a challenge. I think with Matilda, we're going to be doing this challenge. Matilda, I hope you're in that challenge as well, right? We'll see. <laughs> no, no. What no, challenge no. is this? <laughs> the C4 challenge. <laughs> Tell us about it. Oh, so the C4 challenge um, is just to get yourself out of your comfort zone, whereby you are supposed to podcast every single day, min- hmm. including Saturday and Sunday, minimum five uh. minutes. It could be of any topic, anything for the whole month of October. You can pre-record and then send it in, or you can record by the day and keep sending in by the day. And it only happens in October and February. So if you miss this chance, you have the chance to get in February. And it's a nice collective of people where also, you know, you kind of learn some things about yourself. I'll Mm. put it that way. So to me, it's a challenge. I'm just going to try it. Because I think podcasting is not should not be uh, static. You should try new things on your podcast here and there. So it's just being free from being static as a as a podcaster. That's how I looked at it. That does sound pretty exciting, actually. A lot of work, but pretty exciting. <laughs> so this is just one of the things. Other than that, Sambaza podcast is there for you to listen to. Uh, we're just uh, a one man show, and uh, actually, I'm on TikTok too. <laughs> Oh, look at that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just to drive people around to see what I do. That's when you get to see my real face and uh, Mm. drive people to come to my podcast. Hey, glad to meet you guys. I've heard a lot lot of good things from Matilda and uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on. Nice to meet you too. Thank you. All right. All right. Y'all enjoy. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Thank you so much.